Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading at verse 14. Ephesians 5, verse 14, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to your psalms, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of, the, of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I've taught a message tonight simply walking in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. So let's look to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege that we have to open thy precious word tonight. And I pray that as we look into the word of God, that you again would speak to our hearts and encourage us and teach us, instruct us, that we might grow in our grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us not to be confused what it means to walk in the Spirit. But give us understanding into thy truth, we pray, that we might be better servants of thine. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been looking or going through this book, we notice, and I've mentioned this the last couple of weeks, there are five walks in, starting in chapter 4 through chapter 5. And the word walk means simply to regulate one's life or the conduct of one's life. So it is how we live and conduct ourselves. You know, there's a lot of confusion in the world today about in Christendom, so to speak, about what it means to walk in the Spirit or to be Spirit-filled. Some would say, if you're spirit-filled, you can speak in tongues. Um, of course, that's not taught in the scriptures. Um, you know, tongues in the Bible is an understandable language. Every man understood in his own language. Acts chapter 2 says that very clearly. It has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. That was a gift of the Spirit uh, during the early days of the church. Uh, period. But anyway, uh, others have the idea that, you know, it's some supernatural state that certain people uh, strive to or get to. You know, there's those who talk about the second blessing where, you, you know, you can get to a state where you don't sin anymore. Um, I've never got to that state, I'll confess to you. And I really don't know anybody that has, even though there are some that have claimed it. I never met anyone that claimed it. But, but anyway, but there are, there are some that teach that, uh, Pentecostals and so on, that taught that. But to walk in the Spirit simply means we walk in obedience to God. It's, it's really that simple. There's nothing spooky about it. It's really quite simple. But tonight I want to look at what it means to walk in the Spirit, or some things about walking in the Spirit. And I have four things, all begin with the letter A. First of all, to walk in the Spirit means we're actively pursuing the light of truth. If you notice in verse, verse 14 it says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, 
and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. The word awake means to arise from the state of moral sloth to an act of life devoted to God. So, you know, when we, before we're saved, we're dead in trespasses and sins, and, 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 and our life is not devoted to God. But, but the, the word here, awake, Paul's told, telling the church at Ephesus that you need to awake from sloth and be active in your life of devotion to God. The word sleepest, again, metaphorically, means to yield to sloth and sin, to be indifferent to one's salvation. Be indifferent. I think that would describe a lot of professing Christians today. They seem, oh yeah, I've done that, but they don't seem to care about whether their life is pleasing to the Lord. They seem indifferent to the truths and the commands that God gives us in His Word. And they make no effort. Or they put forth little to no effort to live a life that pleases and honors God. And so, you know, he's saying here that if we're going to walk in the Spirit, we've got to be actively pursuing what is right and pleasing to, the God, to God. We need to be pursuing truth. You know, why, did, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus? What was he looking for? You know, he, was, he was unsaved at the time, but why did he come to Jesus? In Matthew 5, 6, the Bible says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In other words, to be satisfied. Just as, just as we hunger and thirst for food and, 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 and drink, we should hunger and thirst after the things that please the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, he told the, told the church at Corinth, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. They, they, again, they were indifferent to what was acceptable or pleasing to God. They were indifferent to it. They were more worried about whether they were in this group, this group, or this group. Or this little clique, or this little clique, or this little clique. Whether they were amongst the poor people, or the middle class, or the higher, the upper class. There were all types of groups, all those groups in that church at Corinth. There was rich and there was poor. If you study the book of Corinthians, you'll, figure, you'll find that out. And so they were more, well, you know, I'm, I'm following Peter, and I'm following Apollos. You know, that great orator, he, he was here for a little while. Boy, that guy, he could just quote the scriptures. In fact, you know, it, it's, one commentator said you know, that, that he was mighty in the scriptures. Some, some believe that he could quote the entire Old Testament. He was mighty in the scriptures and readily convinced the Jews. He was a great, he, he, could, he, he knew how to handle the scriptures. And some say, I'm following Paulus, you know. And others say, why well, follow Paul? He's a great theologian. So they were more worried about which party they were in. And they could care less or weren't all that interested in about the man in the church who was committing fornication. And they weren't all that concerned about those who, who would bring lots of food in and, and, and devour it at the love feast right before the Lord's Supper. And then there's people over here that were in the same church on the same day going with that. And they were indifferent. And Paul said, awake to righteousness and sin not. 
1 Corinthians 16, 13, again he said to them, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like man. Come on, become alive. Be a real man of God. Pursue the things of God. That's what a man of God is. Be strong. So to walk in the Spirit means we're actively pursuing the light of truth. Secondly, it's walking in the Spirit is walking accurately. Notice verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The word circumspectly means accurately, diligently. It means to live carefully, uh, deviating in no respect from the law of duty. So it, again, it's, it's to, to, be, to give diligence and caution and carefulness about what I do, about my conduct. And examining it in the light of God's word. Again, we would say if a guy walks circumspectly, in other words, he's going he's gonna to walk where he puts his feet. Yeah. I think it was Becca Spurgeon's dad who was here one Sunday years ago, and I was teaching through this book. And I was talking about circumspectly, and he said, I heard an illustration of that. He said, It's like walking through an active cow pasture. Yeah, you watch. If you're walking through an active cow pasture, you're very careful where you put your feet. There'd be consequences if you put them in the wrong place, I can assure you. I know from experience. Uh, been in many a cow pasture. You know, so it's to walk carefully, accurately, giving diligence. And that's really, it's a good description of walking in the Spirit. It's walking in obedience to the Word of God. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, in verse 1, and then also in verse 4, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation, Romans 8, 1, to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then again in verse 4 it says, that the righteousness of the law, notice, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled on us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, so again, it's, it's walking in accordance with the Word of God or the law of God. It's simply walking in obedience to God's Word. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, Walk in the Spirit, this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So we're to walk accurately or circumspectly, not as fools. You know, the foolish means, it's of course the opposite, it's, it's revolt, or resulting from or showing a lack of sense. Ill-considered, lacking forethought or caution. So that would be the opposite of walking circumspectly. You know, not giving any forethought to where you're going. So if you're going through an active cow pasture, you just walk and you don't care. You're walking looking around and you know, if you were in your bare feet, you really know it. I speak from experience. One of the things you don't want to do is run through an active cow pasture. Again, I speak from experience. 
what was what what was I doing? I wasn't running. I wasn't watching where I was going. I didn't give any consideration to it. That's the foolish. That's the fool. That's that's describing the fool here. He gives no consideration where he's going. No forethought. You know, Proverbs Proverbs says twice. A prudent man, Proverbs twenty three and also Proverbs twenty seven twelve says this: A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Now, the word prudent means cautious, has good sense. Good sense. You know, and good sense requires exercising your thinking skills. You have to exercise your thinking skills to have good sense. You know, and Paul talked about exercising himself unto godliness. About striving to please the Lord. In fact, go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You know, again, this requires exercise. We have to exercise our thinking skills and exercise ourselves unto godliness, to walk in obedience to the Lord. In Philippians 3 Verse, verse, uh, start in verse 7, says, What things were gained to me, those are kind of lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency. Notice he's, he's, he's reaching out for excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained. Either are already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, you know, he was, he, you know, he was forgetting about the failures and the things of the past. He was continually pressing on. He said, I've not attained to perfection. I've not attained to the excellency uh, that can be reached of the knowledge of Christ. I'm working toward it. I'm working for it. You know, as I was reading it, a verse came to mind in Philippians chapter 1. Notice he says here uh, in verse 12, for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. Remember in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it on the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to continually work on your life allowing good things and bad things, blessings and chastisement into your life to bring you to full maturity. And that's what Paul's saying here in verse, you know, he's going to continue to, what he's begun in you, he's going to continue to work in your life until you go to be with him. And Paul said, I'm, I'm going to continue to work, to strive for excellency, for accuracy, to live accurately or pleasing to God. That's why he told the church at Corinth, 
I die daily. I've got to reckon this old man dead every day. If I let my old man have his way, I'm going to go backwards. I'm not going to go forwards. I have to strive daily to submit myself to the Lord and to be pleasing to Him. So we need to walk accurately and strive to walk accurately. Thirdly, appropriately, notice verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Appropriately. Uh, the redeeming means to buy up for oneself, for one's use, to make a wise and sacred use of every opportunity for good. Now, I use that word appropriate. You might wonder why, but we've got to appropriate every circumstance, God in every circumstance in life. You know, God doesn't want to be this part of your life and not in this part of your life. If there's something in your life that God can't be a part of, you need to get rid of it. You need to get rid of it. That's quenching the spirit. That's grieving the spirit of God. And you need to get rid of it. So he, he says we need to be making wise and sacred use of every opportunity for good. Colossians 4, 5, again, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. In other words, using every opportunity. You know, Paul was a, I mean, Paul was a master of turning tragedies into opportunities. You know, I mean, shipwreck. You know, they're stranded in the ocean, in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of nowhere. They don't even know where they are. And they've thrown everything overboard, including the food, the wheat. They've got a little food left. But Paul turned that tragedy into an opportunity to be a testimony to those men on that ship. So we need to be using our time appropriately. You know, we need to make wise use of our time. We all have 24 hours a day. Of course, in that time we have to sleep, eat, and work to earn our means, to supply our needs. But we also need time to read and study the Word of God. You know, Job said in Job 23, 12, I have esteemed his words more than my necessary food. So you wonder why, how Job endured the trials of afflictions that he suffered? I believe Job's secret was that God's Word had preeminence in his life. And because God's word had preeminence in his life, he understood enough about God to know that God would not forsake him. Even though he didn't know where he was in his situation. You know, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study thy, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, we need to study 
God's word so that we can understand his word and how it applies to life. How else are we going to understand his will for our life? So we need to make time or use the time that God has given us and make opportune time to spend in his word. Uh, We need to have that time so that we can be wise to answer every man appropriately. You know, 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man. That ask if you have reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, Brother Hoyle was saying this morning in Sunday school about, you know, Paul first went to, uh, I think it was Pamphylia, i trying to remember all these places, and then he went to Lystra and Derby, and then he went to Iconium, and each place was different. Each place was different. There were similarities, but each place was a little different. And 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 he pointed out that you know, when you go out there and you start talking to folks about the Lord, everybody's different. Everybody's different. And you know, we have, you know, in the last thirty years in our independent Baptist churches, we've trained people to go through this certain plan of salvation fits everyone. But there isn't such a thing. And then we run into problems or difficulties we can't answer because we don't know enough of Scripture to answer the questions. Of course, we were taught, you just avoid the questions. Don't answer the questions. Questions aren't important. Sometimes those questions are vitally important. Now, the Bible says we need to know how to answer every man. Not every man is going to ask the same questions. Not every man is going is to uh, uh, come with the same understanding and the same knowledge, if any knowledge, of God. You know, people differ one from another. We have different shoe sizes, different hair color. For those you get older, that gets more of the same. Uh, facial expressions, uh, voice pitch, we're all different. We're not hot dogs. Yes, we have similarities. And people respond differently to the gospel of the word of God. Some people think that God's just God of love and loves everybody and overlooks different beliefs about him. Others think God's unfair. I have a relative that said, God's unfair. He let David get away with murder. And I I thought to myself, she didn't say that to me. I thought, you're just showing your ignorance of the scriptures. Because if you would read the context of what David did and read what happened to David as a result of what he did, you'd say, he never got away with it. He suffered greatly for it. Or I shouldn't say he suffered greatly. He reaped some very... Uh, harsh consequences, which was his own doing. See, it's a lack of understanding and reading the whole context of the subject matter. And so we need wisdom to answer every man. They're all different. 
you know, somebody asks you, give me a verse of scripture that says God's promise to preserve his word. Could you give him one? Why do I need to be baptized? Well, I believe that, you know, I believe that a person can lose their salvation. After all, if they continually sin, surely they lose their salvation. Can you disprove that from the scriptures? Or what if somebody said, well, I believe that everybody can get to God their own way. Can you answer if somebody says, well, you know, I, I do good works. And I've served at this church for 30 years, you know, and I've been a deacon there, and I've, you know, done this and done that. So, surely. Well, surely you don't believe there's an eternal hell, do you? Yeah, there's a song in our hymn book. Nothing wrong with the song. But one phrase in it says, be of sin the double cure. What does that mean? Well, if you read again the rest of the song, it explains what that means. But I've heard this said that it's not scripturally correct because it's talking about, you know, salvation and then uh, coming to the place in your life where you sin no more. But the rest of the verse says, you know, it says, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. What makes me pure? I come to the place of sinless perfection? No. I'm made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, we need to be able to answer every man. And it requires we have an understanding of the scriptures and be walking with the Spirit of God. You know, the Spirit of God. You know, again, Peter says here, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason the hope is in you with meekness and fear. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. God needs to have preeminence in your life so that he can work through your life. And, and, and a person may ask you a question and you may give an answer and you may say later, where did I get that from? And you never even gave a thought about it. But you see, you read it in the Bible, you, couldn't, you wouldn't be able to, Say, well, chap, 
Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says. But you remember reading something in the Bible, and the Lord brings it to your mind, and you, you give a Bible principle. For example, a guy asked me one time, what do you say to a person that says he doesn't love his wife anymore? My first thought was, nobody ever asked me a question like that before. And I said, well, I think the Bible teaches that you learn to love those you spend time with. Don't ask me where I got it. But I do know where I got it. Titus chapter 2 says, the age of women are teach young women, teach the young women to love their husbands. See, you can learn to love. And you learn to love those you spend time with. Now, that wasn't any wisdom of my own. That was the Lord. And so, we need to, to, to uh, appropriate the word of God. Third, or fourthly, there needs to be an acceptance of instruction. Notice verses 19 or verses 18 through 21 again, it says, And be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, again, think about context. Who is Paul's audience? Well, it's the church at Ephesus. So he's talking to a, or writing to a church, a body of believers, like Lighthouse Baptist Church. He's not writing to an individual. He's not speaking, you know, he says, speaking to yourselves, submitting to yourselves. He's not referring to each of us going into our own little corner and talking to ourselves and learning from ourselves so we might be wise to ourselves. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking to the church, a body, a group of people. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. Chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, For whom the whole body, fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So he's saying here the church can edify itself, and it edifies itself by speaking to itself. So you're speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks. You think of it this way. Okay, the mind instructs the hand to put food in the mouth. The mouth chews up food. The throat swallows it, goes through the esophagus to the stomach. The stomach and the intestines break it down into usable nourishment, and the bloodstream carries it to different parts of the body so that the body can walk and work and collect more food that the hand can put in the mouth. You say, that sounds like a vicious cycle. Yeah, it is. We do it every day. Unless there's something wrong with your body. See, a normal, healthy 
body can take care of itself. And normal, healthy church can speak to itself, can nourish itself. And, and you know, we call this, when, when, when the body does this, we call this growth. We call it growth. And so he says that we're to speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, has to do with singing and making music. Our song should teach and edify us. You know, I was thinking about that as we were singing tonight. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. It is finished. His sacrifice was sufficient. We need no other sacrifice. I wonder if the Catholics sing that song. Because it really negates a lot of their teaching. The Mary worship, the you know the indulgences, and really the indulgences that there have been saints who have been more righteous than required to get into heaven, so their earnings can be bought by you to help you. That's really what an indulgence is. It's blasphemous. But I want you to think particularly about giving thanks. It says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, giving thanks, to give thanks requires a knowledge of something that's done for you. You know, we we say thank you to, to someone who has done something or given us something. You know, I don't write thank you notes to people who don't know. I don't tell people that I don't know thank you or who have not done anything for me. No, it requires a knowledge of something done. And so in this situation, of course, it requires a knowledge of who God is and what he has done for us. Giving of thanks. You know, we have to understand there is a God. That he controls the universe, or he made it, he created it. He created us for a purpose. He created us for fellowship. That God delights in man's fellowship. And, you know, his, uh, Proverbs 8.31 says, Rejoicing in the habitable part of the, his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. That God desires fellowship with us and has made a way for us to have fellowship, have a relationship and have fellowship with him. And that I can have. You see, Giving thanks requires a knowledge of these things. In fact, Paul would often make reference to this in the places he went. I thought of this in uh, Sunday school again this morning. In Acts chapter 14, verse 15, you know, they, they wanted to make sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. Because 
Paul had healed a, healed a, a lame man. And, it's, and Paul responded saying, Sirs, why do you use these things? We also are men of like passions you and, and preach unto you that you turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own way. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. See, they couldn't praise God because they didn't know him. But where do we learn that? It goes back to accepting the instruction that God gives us in his church. Speaking to yourselves. Psalms and hymns, making melody in your heart, giving thanks. So it requires an acceptance of, of, of instruction. And, and you notice in verse 21, he, 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 he concludes this part with this. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know, we need to be willing to receive instruction from anyone. Or, you know, submitting to the truth should not be determined by who gives it, but by what it is. You know, we human beings sometimes have personality problems. Well, I just don't like that guy's personality. I don't like her personality. And it wouldn't matter what they said. They wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't receive it. I remember this guy that had a strong personality. He was a pastor. And he had a very domineering personality. I will agree. And this lady said, I just don't think I can go to church there. I just can't stand the guy. I said, you have to get beyond the personality. It's what the man preaches and does he live it. We all have our personality quirks. And it's not about personality. It's about the truth. She got over her personality. Her husband would never get baptized in the church they were in because they were in a Southern Baptist church and he said the pastor was a phony. And he was right. The pastor's name in the Southern Baptist church was ba Bailey. And you ever hear about Beetle Bailey in the funnies and the comic strips? That's what he called him, Beetle Bailey. But they finally went to this church, the Independent Baptist Church, and he got baptized. He had respect for the pastor. Because he wasn't afraid to preach the truth, the word of God, as it was written. Even though he, he, he really didn't like his personality very well either. But he was willing to submit and receive instruction because it was, he preached the truth without compromise. You see, we need to submit to the truth 
even if we don't like the personality of the one giving it. It's not about a person. What well, it is? It's about Christ. It's not about us. So there needs to be this acceptance of, instru- of instruction. You know, we need to be willing to accept the truth as God gives it, S- submitting to one another in the fear of God. See, walking in the Spirit is not some mystical way of living. It's everyday life. It's simply actively pursuing the things of God, being devoted to Him, walking accurately or carefully, circumspectly, appropriating the things, the truths of God to my life, and accepting the truth of God's Word, receiving it as instruction that I might further my growth and walk with the Lord. Might God help us to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.